0: Bite sized Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 27th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Chief Medicine Crow. He was born on this day in 1913. So the title of Chief is not something that is bestowed lightly upon a person. Two days ago, we learned about Chief Funmelayo Ransom Kuti and all the struggles that she had to go through to earn such an honor. Chief Joe Medicine Crow did not earn his title through blood succession or through nepotism. In the Crow Nation, in order to deserve the title of chief, you must accomplish four tasks. The first one is that you must touch an enemy without killing him. The second, you must take an enemy's weapon. The third, you must take an enemy's horse and number four, you must lead a successful war party. No easy shopping list right there, but Joseph Medicine Crow accomplished all of this in the middle of Nazi-occupied territory without ever getting a scratch, and he would be the last member of Crow Nation to meet that code. Joseph Medicine Crow was born in a log cabin on the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana to Amy Yellowfeather and Leo Medicine Crow. The crows are matrilineal, so bloodline is traced through the mother instead of the father. Property and hereditary rights are also traced through the mother's side. But his paternal grandfather, the immensely honored and revered chief medicine crow, would be the one who would help prepare young Joseph to deserve the title of chief one day. As a boy, he would teach Joseph how to walk through snow barefoot and how to bathe in freezing rivers to build up his spirit and his strength. His mother's step-grandfather, White Man Runs Him, was a scout for General Custer and a witness to the Battle of Little Bighorn. As a child, Joseph was enthralled by the first-hand accounts that his step-grandfather would share with him. Joseph's ability to speak English came in handy when reporters came to interview White Man Runs Him about the Battle of Little Bighorn. These were precious moments in a childhood of hardship and sadness. Many of the tribe's children had been forcibly sent off to abusive boarding schools where white people tried to beat their heritage and culture out of them. Starvation and rampant disease had decimated the tribe, leaving them with less than 2,000 members, and Joseph's family often had to resort to cattle rustling to survive. Joseph was intent on not struggling the way his family was, and after a talk with Chief Plenty Coos, who told him that education will make him equal to a white man, but a lack of it will make him a victim, Joseph leaned hard into academia. He started taking high school prep classes at Bacon College when he was in eighth grade. He finished a double major bachelor's in sociology and psychology at Linfield College in 1938, and he followed that up with a master's in anthropology at USC the following year, with a thesis called The Effects of European Culture Contacts upon the Economic, Social, and Religious Life of the Crow Indians. He was the first member of the Crow Nation to earn a master's degree. In 1941, while completing a Ph.D., Warner Brothers reached out to have him consult on the script of They Died With Their Boots On, a dramatic adventure film about the Battle of Little Bighorn, starring Errol Flynn as General Custer. Mexican actor Anthony Quinn was cast as Crazy Horse, and all of the Native American extras, only 16 of them were Sioux, and the rest were Filipino. Despite having asked him for input in the script, his suggestions were largely ignored by the producers. Right before he finished his PhD, World War II broke out. Coming from a war-faring people, enlisting in the army just made sense to him. He was part of the 103rd Infantry Division, seeing combat and working as a scout. Before every battle, he would paint two red stripes on each arm beneath his uniform and tuck a yellow feather that had been given by a Sundance medicine man beneath his helmet. His ancestors were very much looking out for him as he avoided any injury during the entire war. It was during the war that he unknowingly completed the four tasks required to become a chief. He first led a seven-man artillery squad carrying explosives through artillery fire to destroy German war lines. Next, he helped capture a German village. While he was there, he was running around the corner of a wall next to the main street when he crashed into a Nazi. The Nazi's gun fell to the ground, so Joseph set his down as well, and they began to fistfight. At the end of the fight, Joseph was on top of the Nazi with his hands around his throat. And then the Nazi gasped, Mama, and Joseph released his grip and walked away. Lastly, he was scouting along the ridge of a mountain when he saw some soldiers on horseback. Looking through his binoculars, he saw that they were German. So he snuck up behind them and he followed them to a farmhouse that they were occupying. And in a corral outside, there were 50 of their horses resting and eating. He snuck in as his fellow soldiers surrounded the house. Taking a bit of rope from his pack, he fashioned a bridle and he harnessed up one of the horses. He then jumped on and led a stampede of the 50 horses out of the corral. The Nazi gunfire started and he leaned into his horse, pushing it faster. The horses, he recalled, were beautiful specimens and very fast. And he noticed that the horse that he was on was a thoroughbred with a white blaze on its face. And sitting atop this galloping horse in the wee morning hours, tearing along a mountain path, leading 50 other horses, felt as close to home as he had been in a while and he broke out into a crow victory song. At the end of the war, he returned home and recounted his tales to his elders during a tribal ceremony. He told them of his exploits, and they looked amongst themselves for a moment before telling him that he had completed the four deeds. He was now Chief Joseph Medicine Crow. Three years after the end of the war, Chief Joseph was appointed the tribe's historian and anthropologist. All of the stories that he grew up with were crystallized in his mind, making him the last link to the history of the Crow Nation before reservations. He wrote a dozen books on Crow history, served on historical and educational boards, and was able to recreate the Battle of Little Bighorn in writing based on the eyewitness accounts his step-grandfather told him as a child. He ended up writing an actual account of the Battle of Little Bighorn, which is the go-to for all historical reenactments today. He would dedicate his later years to being the tribe's spokesperson to the white world, saying, There is a middle line that joins two worlds together. I walk that line, and I take the best from each, and I avoid the worst. In 2008, when future President Barack Obama was campaigning, Chief Medicine Crow stepped up to him at a Billings, Montana, Veterans Center, saying, "...when you get to the White House, remember we Indian people since 1492 have been at the bottom of the ladder in America, and we want you to bring us up to level and recognize us as first-class citizens." And because Obama is just that kind of amazing human, he not only remembered him, but he bestowed upon him the following year the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And in his speech, President Obama said, Chief Medicine Crow's life reflects not only the warrior spirit of the Crow people, but America's highest ideals. Chief Medicine Crow lectured and wrote and traveled until his death on April 3rd, 2016, at the age of 103. He is survived by his son, Ron, daughters Vernal and Diane, and stepdaughter Garnet. My sources today were Wikipedia, The Washington Post, PBS, and World Wisdom. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Chief Joseph Madison Crow. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of the first woman to run a studio design department, Edith Head. See you then.